You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the Wednesday, March 8th reading of the Conscious Living Program. My name is Rebecca Friedman. For today's show, we'll be looking at a feature story from The Greater Good, and we will also look at miscellaneous stories from the Good News Network. The feature story from Greater Good Magazine appeared recently in their Mind and Body sections. It was published today, The Superpowers of Sensitive People. A new book explains how sensitivity can be an asset in life, as long as you learn how to manage emotional and physical overwhelm. By Jill Suddy, March 8th, 2023. I'm the kind of person who absorbs the emotions of other people. If someone I know is stressed out or depressed, I feel it too, resonating with their pain. Sad movies, heck, even sappy commercials, can bring me to tears. And I often complain about sounds, smells, or tastes that don't seem to bother those around me. According to a new book, Sensitive, by Jen Graneman and Andre Solo, this suggests I may be a highly sensitive person, HSP, among the 30% or so of the population with that characteristic. Grandman and Solo, who've created websites for HSPs to learn about their condition and connect with others, have turned their knowledge into a book explaining this trait in detail. By fusing research with testimonials, they hope to bring attention to the ups and downs of being sensitive, correct misunderstandings, and end this stigma that sensitive people sometimes face. What makes someone highly sensitive? Sensitivity can come in different flavors, argue Graneman and Solo. It can mean having strong emotions, crying for joy, bursting with warmth, wilting from critique, or having physical sensitivities to temperature, odors, or sounds, or all of the above. Overall, sensitivity is a heightened ability to perceive, process, and respond deeply to one's environment which means sensitive people absorb more sensory information, often unconsciously, think more deeply, and find more interconnections among disparate things than less sensitive people typically do. If you are a sensitive person, your body and mind respond more to the world around you, the authors write. You respond more to heartbreak, pain, and loss, but you also respond more to beauty, new ideas, and joy. No doubt, sensitivity evolved to help people survive. If you could easily absorb information from your surroundings, you could be more alert to dangers and opportunities, like an approaching predator or a nearby water source. There is some evidence that genetics plays a role in whether you are prone to high sensitivity. But sometimes your environment can produce more sensitivity in you or exacerbate a genetic predisposition. For example, if you grew up in an abusive household, you might be able to recognize almost imperceptible changes in a parent's moods, a warning to seek safety before the danger escalates. Being sensitive can sometimes mean that you shut down when facing stressors or difficult transitions. But it can also mean that, given the opportunity, you're skilled at learning how to handle challenges in the future. For example, Research found that sensitive kids benefited from 
a depression prevention program more than less sensitive kids. Similarly, in one study, married sensitive adults got more out of a relationship strengthening program than less sensitive spouses. This is because sensitive people take in information, good and bad, and process it more deeply. As long as their sensitivity is valued and supported, it can be a bonus when it comes to personal growth and achievement. Sensitive people get a bigger boost from the same things that help anyone, a mentor, a healthy home, a positive group of friends, write the authors. This boost allows them to do more and go further if they are given a nudge in the right direction. The particular strengths of being sensitive. Sensitivity can come with other superpowers, write Groneman and Solo, that help sensitive people experience the world deeply. For example, for example, they tend to have high levels of the following. Empathy. Sensitive people have empathy in spades, so much so that the difference can be seen in brain scans, write the authors. This means sensitive people tend to feel for others more than less sensitive people, which can encourage them to be more compassionate and take action in the face of suffering. Creativity. A mind that notices more detail, makes more connections, and feels emotion vividly is almost perfectly wired for creativity, write the authors. The brains of sensitive people can grow and change in ways that may allow for more creative associations. Sensory intelligence. Sensory intelligence means taking in more information from your environment and making good decisions based on that information, a, defi a defining characteristic of highly sensitive people. Great athletes, for example, often have the same ability to sense what's going on around them and to rapidly process it, allowing them to make intelligent plays in the heat of competition. Depth of processing. Not only do sensitive people take in more information, they also process it more deeply. This means that they often see patterns that others don't see and are able to connect the dots, which can make them good planners. They prefer to engage in deeper, more meaningful ideas and activities, as doing so calls upon their strengths. Depth of emotion. While many would see this as a hindrance, a sensitive person's depth of feeling makes for a richer life and is a boon for forming strong relationships, one of the keys to happiness. If you're sensitive, your deep emotionality is why you're an exceptional listener, why people naturally trust you, and why you're probably the go-to confidant when anyone in your friend group needs advice, write Groneman and Solo. This combination of abilities can make sensitive people good leaders as they combine their hearts and heads in the service of others. As the authors note, slowing down to reflect and lead with compassion is exactly what our divided, rushed, and too much world desperately needs. How to handle the downsides of sensitivity. Of course, emotionality also has its downsides, as does being more sensitive to your physical environment. One of the biggest challenges is overwhelm. Many sensitive people feel uncomfortable in chaotic environments with lots of sensory stimulation, like loud parties or busy city streets. They may become overwhelmed by their emotions or the emotions of other, which they tend to absorb. While this can happen to anyone, it's more likely to happen to sensitive people, 
who find it hard to block out ambient noise or ignore the suffering of someone around them. Luckily, there are ways to avoid overstimulation and to soothe yourself when you can't avoid it, explain Groneman and Solo. 1. Look for early warning signs of overstimulation. Whether that's feelings of restlessness, irritation, or a desire to shut out all sensory information, this can be your personal signal to take note and change direction to avoid overwhelm. 2. Take a break from whatever's causing overstimulation. That might mean closing a door, taking a walk, or letting someone know that you need to pause a conversation. Just shutting out stimulation for a bit can help you recharge before re-entering the situation. 3. Give yourself calming sensory input. If you can't escape sensory overload, try interrupting your body's stress response by doing something physically soothing, like lying on your back or giving yourself a hug. 4. Move your head less. If you move your head a lot, your brain works harder and your senses become more heightened, explained the authors, which can add to, this, to overstimulation. They suggest doing things like sitting at the head of a table at a party, so you don't have to move your head back and forth, and gathering ingredients before cooking dinner to reduce repeated trips between the fridge and the stove. 5. Set healthy boundaries. Chronic overstimulation often occurs because our boundaries have holes, that is, places where we haven't set or communicated a clear limit, write the authors. Learning how to say no to requests more often can help sensitive people avoid taking on too much. 6. Make time to laugh and play. As the authors write, you can't laugh at something funny and feel overwhelmed at the same time. So try to do things that feel playful, whether it's singing in the shower, skipping, or putting on a silly puppet show for your kids. Misunderstandings around sensitivity. Even though many people have this trait, it's not uncommon for sensitive people to be criticized. People may say you're too sensitive in a pejorative way, assuming it's a weakness, especially if you're a sensitive boy or man. This can lead some people to hide their sensitivity or to overcompensate by trying to act tough, lest they become targets of shaming or bullying. To illustrate this, Groneman and Solo share the story of Bruce Springsteen, who famously confessed that as a child, he was very sensitive and fearful. His father often made him feel weak and hounded him to toughen up. But his sensitivity came in handy as a musician, allowing him to delve deeply into the human experience and produce songs that many consider among the best of American rock. Although being wired for strong emotions comes with challenges, it also makes you exceptional, suggests the authors. I feel lucky that I wasn't bullied out of being sensitive as others have been, but I've often been embarrassed by my easy tears and felt the need to get away from everyone just to recharge, something that has caused people in my life to feel left out or rejected. Reading this book was like getting a window into myself, explaining why things affect me the way they do. It also helped explain why I love solitude so much. It rejuvenates me when life becomes too much. For those who find sensitivity a lot to manage, there are many more tips in this book than I've mentioned here, 
including ideas on how to turn empathy into compassionate action, make the use of your heightened ability to love and form close relationships, and protect yourself from people who drain you. If you can accept the gifts of sensitivity and recognize your superpowers while mitigating the challenges, you may find yourself enjoying a richer and more meaningful life. Rather than seeing sensitivity as a weakness, we need to start seeing it for what it actually is, a strength, write the authors. It's time we embrace sensitivity and all it has to offer. About the author, Jill Suddy. Jill Suddy, PsyD, is Greater Good's former book review editor and now serves as a staff writer and contributing editor for the magazine. She received her doctorate of psychology from the University of San Francisco in 1988 and was a psychologist in private practice before coming to Greater Good. Our next story also came from Greater Good magazine and it appeared in their relationships section. Is there science behind the five love languages? Despite how popular love languages are, there is little research to support the framework. By Jerry Karansas, March 3, 2023. Love languages, the concept coined by Baptist pastor Gary Chapman some 30 years ago, has taken the relationships world by storm. It's often the go-to topic on first dates. And for those in relationships, love languages are said to provide deep, meaningful, and reliable insights into how relationships function. Putting love languages into action is believed to increase relationship happiness. The concept clearly has appeal. At last count, 20 million copies have been sold worldwide of Chapman's 1992 book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. The book has been translated into 49 languages. There's only one catch. There is little evidence to support the idea that love languages are a thing or that love languages do much of anything to help improve relationships. What are the love languages? According to Chapman, there are five love languages. Each of these love languages is a way to communicate your love to your romantic partner. In his role as a Baptist pastor, Chapman has been counseling couples for years. It was through his observations of couples that the idea of love languages, love languages was born. He believed love languages were an intuitive and simple way to teach couples about how to tune into each other's ways of expressing love. And so he, he began running seminars for husbands and wives, and the popularity of his seminars grew. The five love languages are acts of service, doing something that helps a partner, such as running an errand, physical touch, demonstrating physical affection, such as giving your partner a hug or kiss, quality time, spending time together and giving each other undivided attention, gifts, giving your partner a present that communicates thoughtfulness, effort, or expense, words of affirmation, such as expressing your admiration or complimenting your partner. Chapman suggests that people typically use all love languages, but that most people tend to rely on one language, one love language most of the time. This is referred to as a person's primary love language. According to Chapman, people are more satisfied in their relationships when both partners match when it comes to their primary love language. However, people experience less satisfaction in their relationships 
when both partners do not share the pri same primary love language. Another important aspect of the love languages concept is that relationships are likely to deliver the greatest satisfaction when a person can understand their partner's love language and act in ways that speak to their partner's language. In essence, this idea is about tuning in to what a partner wants. This is an idea that has existed across many models and theories about how relationships function well. That is, responding to a, to a partner in a way that meets their needs and wants makes a piece of person feel understood, validated, and cared for. What does the evidence tell us? Despite the popularity of the theory of love languages, only a handful of studies have been conducted and reported over the past 30 years. Research is largely inconclusive, although the balance sways more toward refuting rather than endorsing the love languages concept. Let's start with how love languages are assessed. In popular culture, the love language quiz is an online questionnaire that people can complete to find out about their love languages. Despite millions of individuals having taken the quiz, there are no published findings as to the reliability and validity of the measure. Researchers have developed their own version of the Love Languages survey, but the findings did not meet the statistical thresholds to suggest the survey adequately captured the five love languages. Also, their findings did not support the idea that there are five love languages. Furthermore, a qualitative study in which researchers coded the written responses of undergraduate students to questions about how they express love suggested there may be six love languages. However, the researchers reported difficulty agreeing on how some of the students' responses neatly fitted into Chapman's love languages, particularly in the categories of words of affirmation and quality time. Next, let's turn to research testing a core premise of the love language theory, that couples with matching love languages experience greater satisfaction than those who do not. Evidence for this premise is very mixed. Three studies, including one that used Chapman's love language quiz, have found that couples with matching love languages were no more satisfied than couples who were mismatched. However, a more recent study found that partners with matching love languages experienced greater relationship and sexual satisfaction than partners with mismatched love languages. This research also found that men who reported greater empathy and perspective taking had a love language that better matched the language of their partner. Finally, what does the research say about whether having a better understanding of your partner's love language is linked to higher relationship satisfaction? Only two studies have investigated this question. Both found that knowing your partner's primary love language did predict relationship satisfaction in the present or into the future. So, as you can see, not only is there very little research investigating love languages, but the research to date doesn't strengthen the belief in the powerful properties of love languages. This article is republished from the conversation under a Creative Commons license. You can read the original article there. About the author, Jerry Carancis. Jerry Carancis, PhD, is currently a professor and director of the Science of Adult Relationships, SOAR, laboratory in the School of Psychology at Deakin University. 
He is also a couples therapist and was the former national convener of the Australian Psychological Society Psychology of Relationships Interest Group. Now we'll take a look at the Good News Network. This story appeared in GNN's All News Inspiring and Self-Help sections. This is great news for all of us. Adults 70 and older swear by these activities to keep them younger than their age. Quote, stereotypes no longer apply, unquote. By Good News Network, February 18th, 2023. Three quarters of people who reached 70 years or older agreed in a new poll that the old age stereotypes no longer apply to today's seniors. In fact, 72% of this group feel years younger than their actual age and are far more active than they imagined they would be. The survey of 1,000 people over 70 found a varied diet, laughing daily, socializing with friends, and even an active sex life are what keeps them staying young. Going out dancing, having a strong skincare routine, and keeping up to date with new tech are also among the things that help them feel young. Others swear by hanging out with people younger than themselves, 16%, and keeping up with new, mu new music, 9%. And one in 20 said they still jump up on supermarket carts to glide around whenever the spirit moves them. A spokesperson for Vitabiotics Wellman 70 Plus Vitamins, which commissioned the poll, said, Getting older no longer means you have to slow down and miss out on the things you love. For a long time, the pro a popular phrase was 40 is the new 30. But now, as people are living longer, it's probably fair to say in many cases, 70 can be the new 50. 76% of those polled believe people are reaching old age much later now than in previous generations. And most of the silver seniors don't think of themselves as old until they turn 78. 43% think they are doing a good job of changing people's perceptions of what old people are like. In fact, 14% of those surveyed by one poll feel as many as 20 years younger than the figure on their birth certificate. More than 4 in 10 tend to feel they age more physically than mentally, with just 1 in 10 feeling the strain on their brain. And 23% believe their grandchildren don't see them as old, with 29% claiming they are even seen as in the know on current trends by young people. By making the effort to stay active, both physically and mentally, as well as taking good care of your general health, it really is possible to stave off those feelings of being old for years or even decades. Top 30 ways over 70 stay young. Eating well, keeping your mind active with things like Sudoku, crosswords, or Wordle, laughing at least once a day, socializing with friends, dressing how you please, keeping an interest in what your grandchildren, nieces, or nephews are doing, getting lots of sleep, abiding by the rule of having a little of what you fancy, keeping up to date with how to use latest technology, playing with younger grandkids, nieces, nephews, taking vitamin supplements, exercising regularly, having a good skincare routine, watching new TV shows, doing 10,000 steps a day, walking the dog, keeping up to date with popular culture such as museums and exhibitions, having an active or regular sex life, hanging out with people younger than you, stretching or yoga, playing in the snow, 
regular trips to the pub, dyeing your hair, continuing education or learning something new, sending a Valentine's card, keeping up with new music, going out dancing, playing video games, using social media, doing pranks on family members, and gliding around on supermarket carts. Share the optimism about old age with friends on social media. Thank you for joining us for the Conscious Living Program. My name is Rebecca Friedman. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.